Welcome to the Wonderfully Weird Podcast. Here's your host, KC Hunter. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Wonderfully Weird Podcast. I am your host, KC Hunter, author of the Kana Cold series. Available on Amazon, of course, and you can always go to www.aoestudios.com and get a free copy of the introductory novella, the prequel. It is free, available now if you go on the website. So, this is our next episode of the podcast, and we're going to be talking today about uh, something that's not very commonly known, but it's politics in the self-publishing space. And there, it's it's a different take than what you're probably uh, assuming from reading the title or listening to uh, the title of this podcast. We're not, we're not going to talk about the politics of individuals or of the collective even of the self-publishing world. But there is an interesting dynamic uh, in the self-publishing world because of the fact that, uh, you know, creatives, especially writers, uh, fiction writers, it, it's a... It's a genre that tends to lean a certain way um creative types are typically more left-wing than they are right-wing or at least lean more left-wing than they are right-wing however the weird part about it is that the self-publishing industry itself is kind of based off of a very conservative right-wing you know as far as western culture is concerned uh kind of mentality of this kind of do your do-it-yourself entrepreneurial uh, you know, uh, present your stuff as a business, approach it as a business kind of a mentality, as opposed to present to approaching it as art. And that's kind of why there's been a success in the self-publishing industry. So there's there's a bit of a, a clash there. I, I often hear uh, with people in the space when they talk about it, because most of the people I talk to in the self-publishing or the indie author space definitely are very uh, liberal or left wing or whatever you want to call it. Um, me myself personally, um, if you're you're new to this podcast or you're not familiar with me, I'm pretty much a centrist. Not even a centrist. I wouldn't even say that. I'm just kind of me. I just kind of I base my belief systems and what I think is right or wrong in particular situations based off of my life experience. And you know, my life experience has colored a way the way a lot of the things that I view are. There's certain things I'm conservative on. There's certain things I'm liberal on. There's certain things I'm very conservative on. And there's certain things I'm very liberal on. It's, it's, um, I don't really, I mean, if you, if you have a process of thought and life experience, I don't, and life experience, when I say life experience, I mean life experience with different kinds of people, not life experience where you're in the same bubble for 40 years and you're only hanging around, you know, the same people at the same church, or you're only hanging around the same artsy fartsy people and the artsy fartsy part of the city. And you've been there for 40 years and, you know, that's your life experience. I mean, if you really, it really gotten to know different kinds of people from different walks of life, from different uh, backgrounds and different avenues and different thought processes. I mean, that's what I've always prided and predicated my life on doing that. But it's kind of strange. I always thought uh, the past couple of weeks I've been thinking it's been kind of strange how we have so much of the indie author space that is entrepreneurial and on all of these tenants. And I listen to certain podcasts and certain people talk about the business side of it. And it is very, very much, you know, it, it isn't in that whole a capitalist kind of thing. It is a capitalist venture, basically. I mean, indie authorship is capitalism, and it's pretty pretty much at its most purest level. It's basically there is no other entity that decides who can 
who's the winners or the losers or who gets money, who doesn't get money. It's not determined by the government. It's not determined by anything else. It's determined by the individual and their ability to be able to uh, achieve things in the system that's created. And that's essentially what capitalism is. It's not, it's up to your, um, uh, your merits, abilities. And I guess to some people it would be luck. I don't really believe in luck. I think luck is for losers. It's opportunity, I guess you could say it in that way. Um, being in the right place at the right time, I guess that could be considered luck. But um, I, I've never really believed in luck. Again, this does contrast <laughs> the, 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 you know, my creative side is very liberal. Extremely liberal, actually. Um, I, I kind of resent the which gets to part of the self-publishing industry, which I do kind of resent the widget mentality sometimes that's in it of, um, you know, right to market is a thing I can't, I, you know, I understand people do it. I, I don't begrudge anybody for doing it. I personally cannot stand right to market because what I under, from what I understand of right to market and I may be, you know, it depends on the person you talk to. I may be wrong about this, but from what I've been told about right to market, it's basically look at what's selling and write something like it. You know, it's like, and that's pretty much it. There's no uh, creativity. There's no original story. You, in fact, don't want to be original. You don't want to be creative or inventive. You want to find something that's already selling and then do something similar to that because there's already an audience for it. And, you know, there's nuance to that. I think if you're crafting a, if you're trying to figure out how to market your story, I think that's valid. I think you want to find, okay, what is making people attracted to look at a product? I think in that respect, right to market is cool. You know, if they, like if you are writing something that does fit vaguely in a urban fantasy or a uh, sci-fi military thriller or a Victorian romance, it, you know, but you have your own twist to it, I think you should have your own twist to it, your own creative input, your own you know, certain essence that you're bringing to the story. But as far as presenting it to the public and marketing of it, I think it's fine to look at right to market and well, not right to market. I think it's fine to market it based off of what's been proven to work to get sales. Because essentially at the end of the day, if you want to be a writer as a full-time thing, or even as a hobby, you want to sell your books. <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of the goal at the end of the story. I mean, unless you're just writing for yourself, then that's one thing. But if you're writing and putting it up on Kobo or Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Google Play or whatever, or iTunes, you want, the whole point of doing that is so other, as many people can purchase it as they can. So you can continue writing and you can make a living doing that instead of what else whatever stuff you're doing. Uh, but that's, again, that's not really right to market. Right to market's kind of this whole, you're you're trying to construct a story that's like Twilight, that's like Harry Potter, because that's what people want to read and that's what people will buy and people want to read the same thing over and over again. And, that's what, and then that goes into a whole totally different thing with, um, you know, just the way people are, you know, modern culture, that there is this thing about, Many people, people just kind of want the the same experience over and over again. That's why in the movies we have so many remakes and adaptations in the movies. You know, the the movie industry long ago, decades ago, stopped really harking on being harping on being original, which has happened in my lifetime. And so weird because when and I remember the early '80s. Remember the early '80s, and like there were so many you know these these movies that we think are iconic now. Well, a lot of those were original 
screenplays, original movies, original ideas. You know, you look at Gremlins, you look at Ghostbusters, uh, Star Wars, you look, you know, all a lot of that stuff, Indiana Jones. You know, they, they were a new twist on old things, but they, it was something, you know, George Lucas or Steven Spielberg or whoever it was, um, you know, came up with in their heads that they, they wanted to tell the story about this farm boy who went off into the universe and, and uh, engaged in this galactic war or this little uh, creature called a mogwai. And if you got it wet or fed it after midnight, which still never made any sense, but if you fed it after midnight, because every all time is after midnight. But uh, if you fed it after midnight, it would turn into this, like, it would multiply and turn into these creepy little green monsters that would try to murder everybody. You know, that wasn't based off of a comic book or anything else or, or, or a book or anything else. It was some loosely threaded stories and everything else that, you know, somebody concocted into a new original tale. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, you know, Halloween, all the horror movies at the time, a lot of the sci-fi stuff, a lot of the fantasy stuff, the Dark Crystal, uh, all of those things were, um, a lot of those things, Nine to, I mean, even comedies like 9 to 5 and Caddyshack and stuff like that were all just based off of original concepts that were made to be movies. Whereas nowadays, it's like, well, you can't do that. You need to have something that has already has a built-in fan base. So we have to make a movie off of Harry Potter because it already has a fan base. We have to make a movie off of the Marvel comic books because it already has a fan base. We have to make more Star Wars movies because it already has a fan base. Um, and there's so few original stuff coming out. Like, I, In fact, I was looking at it now. I think that's a lot of what... um. Tarantino's new movie, which I have still have yet to see, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's a little bit of that in there from the reviews I've read that it comments on that a little bit. And there are there are very few original movies, and even really good original movies, like one of my favorite movies of the past ten years is Ex Machina, which is this uh, you know this small indie movie. Uh, I think it was by A21 or whatever. Alex Garland uh, wrote and directed this movie. Uh, it's it's a very if you've never seen it you gotta watch this movie it's fantastic, uh, but it's an original screenplay it's an original concept and it's a fantastic movie but as great as it is and it's much of a following as it does have it's still not a big blockbuster you know you you've got a lot of movies like that that are really good original screenplays that just don't hit it or they won't even get funded you know or get the marketing because well there's not an audience for this. You know, so that that's in the movie industry, and now we're seeing it a lot in the self-publishing space. And a lot of the books that I read, and when I got into the indie publishing space two years ago, I did a lot of research reading a lot of the top popular people. And some of them have written original stuff, but a lot of them, I, you know, I read certain books, and it's like, man, this is just, this is Twilight, you know? You know, this, or this is this is another Harry Potter. Oh, it's a school and a, a kid, and they go to a school. And they learn things, and they have friends that are. There's the Hermione character, and there's the Ron character, and there's the Malfoy character, and one of the teachers doesn't like them, so that's the Snape, and the, then of course there's the wise old sage, that's the Dumbledore, and and there's the Hagrid, and you know they they always have you know variations of those those uh, archetypes, and th there's a difference between that and tropes. So, you know, there are tropes, there, there are, are certain cliches or certain things to storytelling that are universal, like the sage, the sage old wizard is a, is a story trope that has existed forever. Um, you know, boy meets girl, uh, you know, the enemies within or the enemies without 
or outside or, you know, all of those things are, you know, typical. The three act structure is all typical. But if you're that's one thing. But if you're writing literally something that is a kid goes to school, learns that they have special powers, has a bunch of friends. One of them's really smart. One of them's kind of quirky. There's a teacher that hates them. There's a the headmaster or the head teacher is is their uh, sage old wise one. And there's some mysterious thing about their dead parents. I mean, you're really literally writing Harry Potter. So, you know, it's like, you gotta, I, I would rather see some more innovation in it. The funny thing about that too, is like, there, there are so many innovative stories out there and there are so many different ways to tell these stories, but it seems like there's a lot of retelling of the same modern stories over and over again. Hunger Games is another one that you see a lot of. You see a lot of Hunger Games in there. So that's the side that I don't really like the, the you know, that. So we get back to the original point of, sorry for going off on a tangent, but we go back to the original point of uh, how weird it is, the, the almost a kind of a contradiction of the indie publishing space. Um, you hear from certain people, podcasters in particular, and some of the gurus, they do really have this kind of methodical, mechanical approach to the publishing space of you're making a product, it's about business, that is the first and foremost, you know, your creative side stays in the creative realm, but core of self-publishing is that this is an entrepreneurial business tactic, and there really is no other way around that. Now, I do also find that's prop. That's also kind of the reason why a lot of people who are the more creative, more liberal, progressive, whatever uh, writers, they don't like the self-publishing stuff. Uh, they they'd rather have there be some overarching uh, thing that deems you worthy of being published and deems you worthy of being a writer. And they they like that kind of a thing. They like the Big Brother thing, which I don't like either. <laughs> Because that's kind of the extreme on the other side where it's like, well, you know, somebody's got a great story, but because, you know, maybe I already have two urban fantasy novels, so I'm not going to select yours. I don't think that's really cool either. I think that's kind of a waste of time, you know. Why would you go, you know, wasting, spinning your wheels waiting for somebody to deem you worthy is, yeah, I'm not into that. And I and I like the fact that we have this more of a democratization of the written word these days with the fact that we have self-publishing and the Kindle and the Nook and all of these avenues and audiobooks now. Um, it is very much more a democratic thing. The public can decide what they like and what they don't like. And it's up to the people who are creating these stories to be able to get them out there to as, in front of as many eyeballs in the most attractive way to get people to take an interest in them. So I have no problem with that. The other funny side about this too is... Like, um, and I will reference one author, indie author in particular, Joanna Penn, who pretty much anybody in the indie author space knows. Joanna Penn has a decidedly uh, progressive mindset. It just, it, it comes through. She doesn't really dive too deep into it, but it does slip out when she's talking about things. You can kind of tell her, her political leanings from the way she talks about things. And it's, um, and it does, it does address some of the way in which she approaches the indie space because she doesn't approach it from this, it's a business widget thing. She says it sometimes, but the way she's always about the alternative to it, like, okay, don't, you know, advertising, yeah, 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 but you should do this other way and you can market your books or, or, you know, writing to market and, or not writing to market or, uh, writing really fast and, and quick release. And she's kind of against the quick release thing. That's not a thing that she does. 
And she's always kind of this voice to tell the other people who are not in that more, I would say, on the right side of the self-publishing mindset, which is more the entrepreneurial. You're making a product and you're putting it out there and, and there's a certain there's a certain formula to doing it in order to be successful. For people who aren't into that kind of mentality, Joanna Penn is a nice little a nice little haven for those people who aren't comfortable with that to kind of go, oh, I can do it in a different way. Now, how many people are actually capable of doing it that different way? I'm not and be successful, I'm not so sure, because if you look at the big major successful indie authors, um, and I'm you know, we're looking at Michael Anderley, we're looking at Shane Silvers, we're looking at Mark Dawson, we're looking at a lot of those people. You know, I, I've researched them, I've listened to them speak and do interviews. Of course, Mark Dawson has a whole social media empire he's got going on. And their approach is very much entrepreneurial. It's very much a, a, you know, again, capitalistic mentality about doing it. And they are extremely successful doing it that way. I see very few other people who do it the other way and not through marketing, not through advertising, not through rapid release, who have achieved anywhere near the success that those people have. Um, there's some, now, there are some, like like Joanna Penn in, in particular, you know, she has had a lot of success in the indie author space. Uh, Lindsay Baroker also, she has a lot, had a lot of success, but she didn't do all that stuff. Uh, T.S. Paul, who is an anomaly on in, in himself anyway, uh, he's been successful without really doing a lot of that stuff. So there are other ways of doing it, but the ones who are doing it consistently and are doing it week in and week out, day in and day out, month in and month out, and for the last two or three years at this high level of success are the ones who it just seems to be, if you look at the, the uh, rankings on Amazon, who's uh, selling the most and who's uh, got the most popularity, it's the guys who are doing it the other, guys and girls who are doing it the other way. So I don't know how we, I don't know if it's really an issue either. And that's kind of the cool thing about the indie author space is I don't think that the fact that you have a lot of people who tend to be a little bit more liberal in a system that is basically a right-wing system. <laughs> I don't see that it seems to be that much of a, a conflict with people outside of what I mentioned before about some people not liking some of the tactics. But I don't think that the entrepreneurial spirit is at odds with the uh, more left-wing creative progressive side of things. So it's a hard, it's a hard thing to do. And I've always thought that if um, marketing is a different marketing is part art and it's also part business it's part numbers it's part math you have to kind of look at what works in the formulas that go on in order to be able to actually uh achieve any success you just can't willy-nilly it you just can't throw like the worst thing you can do is just go okay i'm going to go advertise and just throw money at something and not really study or refine or hone or craft you know, your messaging and, and not be really precise with it. It is almost a science to the way you're doing it. It's it's a social science. It's more on the lines of like psychology than it is like uh, calculus. But there is a trial and error um, experiment, you know, uh, measuring, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, aspect to the marketing side of self-publishing. So I don't know. It's a, it's a curious topic that I have discussed with a couple of other indie authors this past week uh, that we were we were thinking about and bringing up, and just it just seemed weird to me uh, that this this industry is is 
is a industry of two halves. Ultimately, I think it's a good thing, though, because I think for me in particular, and again, going back to my political standings, which are just basically my own and not left wing or right wing, I think it's a good example of the fact that, you know, not everything is one way or the other. You know, it's not just being, you know, spreadsheets and and all that stuff and and math and equations and uh, spending and ACOS scores and all that kind of stuff. And it's also not just, hey, I'm just going to write whatever and just fling it out there, you know, (laughs) and just it's my art and I just created it the way it is and it's perfect the way it is. I'm just going to throw it out there and it should be successful. And if it's not successful, that means something's wrong with the world. It's like, you know, it's not that either. It's uh, it's a combination of both. You have to have some creativity because your content has to be something that resonates with people. That has to speak to people. Something more than just, "Hey, this is something I bought as frivolous entertainment." It's got to, if it's going to endure, it's got to speak to people. And at the same time, you can't do that without having some sort of uh, logical approach to how you're presenting your work to the public. This is something that's always existed with the uh, creative space. Something I hope that other creatives too, in the theater industry in particular, like the theater industry, because I used to be in theater and it always bugged me how theater people, even theater people I know to this day, they really, they really abhor marketing stuff. But at the same time, I'm going, well, you guys are doing all this work and producing this play and you're putting it on and the set work and designers and you're, you're working for, you're barely able to keep the thing open. You're working for pennies and you're complaining about it. But in the things that you need to do in order to get more people interested in seeing this thing, you don't want to do them. So, and it, and then it, it goes back to what I said before. It's like I created this thing and I put it out there, and you know I didn't advertise or do anything for it. But if the public doesn't catch on to it, it's because the public is wrong, and that's not the case. It's like you have to let people know, and you have to let them know in a way that intrigues them to come look at it. I have always thought that live theater in particular is just, uh, it, it could use an indie author kind of makeover. It could use that mentality in the live theater space because live theater is fun. It's fun to go to a play, but it's been, it's seen as such this this weird thing on the side, and, and you know, this for only for the hoity-toity types or very, very artsy, artsy, fartsy people. And it's, that's not what theaters should be. Theaters should be to everybody. Everybody should be able to go to a play and enjoy a play, you know. But the way that the theater industry, you know, much like the traditional publishing industry, they they are still stuck in these old, you know, mindsets of, you know, things only has to be the way that they used to be. And it's only for us and our particular little special group of people or for noses stuck up in the air. And that's not that that stuff leads to the decline of all of those industries. You know, I, you know, the, the self-publishing industry, I think the last time I saw a thing is 35% of book sales now or something like that. I, like if it wasn't for the self-publishing industry there, the, the book industry would be making a lot less money than it is now. I mean, 30, 35%, that's not chump change in an industry that makes billions of dollars a year. So, you know, you got, you got to consider that there is something, there's something ultimately to the the more conservative entrepreneurial capitalistic uh, mindset of the self-publishing industry that has helped keep the literary industry alive and, and somewhat thriving in some, in some avenues. You have to accept that. 
along with your more creative progressive side that is all about the art and the creative. So that's just what I wanted to talk about and touch on today. This is very interesting topic that I may dive into a little bit more. I don't know if too many people, I haven't seen too many people talk about this dichotomy of being an indie author and the, the two sides of your brain, which really isn't a thing, but the two sides of, um, I guess the uh, Western political ideologies that there, there are, there's a right wing side to self-publishing and there's a left wing side to self-publishing and they have to, they have to work in concert. They can't be diametrically opposed as they are in most of the rest of everything in Western culture where they are diametrically opposed. And in the author space, you kind of have to have both, you know, in order to uh, be successful at it. So uh, I'd be interested in what you guys know about it. You can visit the blog, blog.aoestudios.com. Uh, leave a comment in the posting on this one, uh, this episode of the Wonderfully Weird Podcast. We will be getting back to our author interviews on the next edition, the next episode of this podcast, as we continue to talk to other indie authors and just authors in general. Uh, we've had some great conversations recently with Gemma Hatt and uh, Jack Gilden uh, from two different aspects of the publishing industry. The next author we're going to be bringing up uh, will bring another aspect of the publishing industry when we have that conversation. So that'll be our next episode. Stay tuned for that. Again, if you want to check out any of my stuff, um, aoestudios.com, the Kind of Cold series is currently available. We also have uh, Clive Resner, the uh, horror author, the Imminent World anthology series. There will be another Imminent World coming out uh, in the next couple of months, so stay tuned for that. Check all of that stuff out on the website. And until next time, I'll see you guys for more stuff here on the Wonderfully Weird. Behave yourselves, but not too much.